Um, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Rachel, um, and as Pastor Matt said, uh, today is Pentecost Sunday, an incredible day in the Christian calendar as we mark the birth of the church. And so as your local TV station would stay, we are pausing from your regularly scheduled programming to bring you this important message. We're taking a one-week break um, from Love Lies. We're going to jump back in next week, and today we're going to immerse ourselves in the story of God and celebrate the day of Pentecost the coming and baptizing of God the Spirit. So depending on your church background, you're probably either really stoked or kind of squirming in your seat right now because you know what is coming. Your preacher for the day is a born and bred Pentecostal girl. I grew up in one of those churches where you never knew exactly what was going to happen, you know. I can remember actually praying when I knew I had friends or a boyfriend coming with me to church of like, Lord, just let it be chill today. Like, this certain people in the church would not be overtaken by the Holy Spirit this particular morning because we need to ease them in a little bit. If we come in, if you come in hot, Lord, there's no way to really back up from that, all right? So if you could just be chill today. I can remember multiple times talking with my uh, grandmother, whether on the phone or in person, and in the middle of a conversation, her just break into prayer and then break into tongues. And then her countenance would change, her voice would change a little bit, and I'd be like, oh, she gone now. She real gone. So this is my background. This is how I grew up. It was normal for me, but once I got a bit older, I realized this is not normal for everyone. This is not everyone's experience. For me, Holy Spirit was some, not something to be afraid of, but something to pursue. Now, there were a lot of flaws, a lot of things that I had to deconstruct and rebuild. For the, the focus that I walked away with for most of my time leaned towards the experience, the emotions, the gifts, and we pursue those, we manufacture those if needed, and not really a relationship with the third person of the Trinity but still, the foundation of pursuit is something that I am so, so grateful for. Many of you grew up in places where Holy Spirit was more like the weird uncle that you never really wanted to show up at the party. It was more like Father, Son, Holy Bible is what my husband would say about his upbringing. And so with that understanding and realizing that we're all coming from different places this morning, let's set a quick foundation in the canon of scripture, the story of God, you don't have to wait long to be introduced to Holy Spirit. It's not like our text from today. The story of Pentecost is the first time that he shows up on the scene just blindsiding everyone. In the beginning, the creation story account begins with an uncreated world and is depicted as a dark, chaotic place. But then, above the chaos, God's Spirit, capital S, is there hovering, moving, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. The Spirit is how the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. And the Hebrew word is ruach. And it can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. There's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway, otherwise known as, you guessed it, wind. In Hebrew, that's ruach. Everyone, let's do a little all play real quick. Everyone take a big, deep breath in for me real quick. You feel that? You feel that inside of you? Yes, we, we feel the air, but also the energy that the air brings, the vitality that rushes through your body when you, you, that you receive when you breathe deeply. That too is ruach. And this same word is used to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. 
Just like wind is powerful, so God's spirit is powerful. And just as our breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all life. Holy Spirit is the presence and activity of God on earth, in the church, and in our personal lives. He is the third person of the Trinitarian community we call God. And it's the personhood of Holy Spirit that is so, so often misguided or just outright ignored. Thomas C. Oden says this, The modern tendency is to depersonalize the Spirit, to treat God the Spirit as reducible to a general idea of spirituality. And when we depersonalize, we reduce his work. We downplay his use and our need. When we depersonalize, the spirit can feel flighty and unpredictable in not a good way. And if this is our mindset, then it's no wonder that we are unwilling to be led by the spirit. If we do not trust the spirit, then we cannot be led by him. And so what is the Holy Spirit? What is his work in our lives? D.L. Moody says this on the person and work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to impart life, to implant hope, to give liberty, to testify to Christ, to guide us to all truth, to teach us all things, to comfort the believer, and to convict the world of sin. This doesn't sound like the weird uncle that we don't need to me. This sounds like something that we would all be completely lost without. All right, so with that brief foundation, let's jump into our text and story for today, which comes to us from the book of Acts, written by one of the writers of the Gospels, Luke. There are four Gospels in the Bible, meaning there are four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke is distinct among the other authors in a couple of different ways. And one is that only Luke wrote a sequel, Acts. Second, among the other gospel authors, Luke places by far the most emphasis on the Holy Spirit. He has almost as many references to the Holy Spirit as Matthew, Mark, and John combined. And in the book of Acts, he ups the ante and goes from 17 direct references to the Holy Spirit in his gospel to 57 in the book of Acts, his sequel. So why is Luke so taken with the Holy Spirit? Well, we know that Luke was a Gentile. And the Gentiles as a people group were thought to be outside of God's promises until they were grafted in by the Holy Spirit. And so Luke, for his whole life, was sitting on the outside looking in until the Holy Spirit, God in spirit, comes in and says, Luke, you belong here. You have a seat at my table. But let's not get ahead of ourselves too quickly here. And so at the very beginning of the book of Acts, we have a short recap of the gospel of Luke and how the gospel of Luke ends with post-resurrection Jesus hanging out with his followers, his disciples for a little while, giving them some final words before ascending into heaven. And before he ascends, he gives them some specific instructions. So let's jump in and hear the words of Jesus this morning. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Basically, this is an outline of the book of Acts and the spread of the gospel. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait, because the helper, your power, my spirit is coming, and then this thing is going to spread. You are going to spread all the way to the ends of the earth. But first things first, wait. You will need what is coming. So let's jump into Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so the crowds were seeing this happen, and they began to hear their own languages being spoke by this group of people, and they're like, these people are crazy. They must be drunk which seems reasonable. I mean, when you get drunk, I feel like you do start to speak fluently in other languages that you didn't know before. I mean, isn't that what happens? <laughs> and so Peter gets up and begins to address this, what's happening in the crowd. And he says, let's jump back in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to, to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the disciples are waiting. Then comes the time of Pentecost. Pentecost is an ancient Israelite festival. It is during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world. All these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were there waiting. They knew that the Spirit was coming, but they didn't know exactly what that meant or what they were waiting for. They had no frame of reference for what that would mean or look like. And so we have all of these followers together in a room, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind and fire, then fire splitting off into individual tongues of fire resting on top of people's heads. So I guess we can agree that this was a whole scene. This was a whole thing that was happening together with all of these people, powerful, confusing, wonderful, uncontrollable, supernatural. And here's one of the common issues with the Holy Spirit that makes people uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable because really we want to be in control. We want to be in control. We're okay with him coming, but we want to kind of give you the parameters with, how, with which how you can come. We're okay if you come, but I really want you to come like a gentle breeze because I don't really like it when you mess up my hair. 
Basically, what we're saying is we want to water down God himself so that he fits inside of a box that we understand and that ultimately we can control. And the Spirit has no intention of following what we think is reasonable. Inviting him in is dangerous because he messes things up in the best possible way. If we're inviting him in, we cannot tame him into a gentle breeze. We must submit ourselves to the mighty rushing wind. And so the Spirit comes, and they start to tell tell stories about Jesus, but in languages that the people that are there for Pentecost, to participate in Pentecost, could understand. Peter gets up, as we said, to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. The tribes have been scattered, but here at Pentecost, representatives from all the tribes have come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so that now they can become the restored people of Israel and thousands of them begin to follow Jesus on this day. The experience of the Spirit at Pentecost fulfills John the Baptist's prophecy of the one who comes, that is Jesus, who baptizes not in water but in the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Spirit at Pentecost is now flowing out to people from every nation, every tribe, and every language, and is saying, as we said at the beginning about Luke, you belong here. You have a seat at my table. This is the great moment when God is tearing down all of the walls that man had tried to build to try to keep God limited to only a certain group of people. The Spirit clearly breaking down those walls as he is being poured out to everyone, the celebrated and the marginalized, men and women, Jews and Gentiles. Quick sidebar here for just a moment. Maybe you can relate to this and maybe you can't. But here's what I think happens to so many denominations of the church. I know for me, this particular story was hijacked for many years because of this. We get so fixed on the speaking in tongues portion of the story, whether for or against, whether always a sign, whether a sign for just that time, and on and on and on the debate goes. We get so fixated on this that we miss the real point and the miraculous moment of the story that is right in front of us. It's the whole forest for the trees thing. This is not a story about your personal prayer language. This is the coming of the helper, the one Jesus talked about and said it was better for him to leave so that the Spirit could come. This is a tearing down of man-made boundaries, the reversal of the curse of Babel. This is the birth of the church, and it has so many implications for us today. Sitting right here in this room this morning at the Tulsa Ballet in the year 2022, this means so much for us today. And that is really where I want to settle in and focus the rest of our time on this morning. And then the worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to worship again, okay? Because it's Pentecost Sunday, and after the sermon, you need to worship again. That's what I feel. And so let's break it down a bit more and dig deep into our own life a bit and examine what this means for us today. There's so many ways that we can take this, um, so many things that the Holy Spirit does in our life, but I just really want to focus on three things today, three implications for what it means that the Holy Spirit has come. 
The Holy Spirit comes to, number one, baptize. The word baptism comes from the Greek baptizo, and there's another word that's very similar that can be translated into baptism, and it's babto. And so to illustrate the difference of these two, the best thing that I found was an ancient recipe for pickling. So let's talk about pickling. I'm going somewhere, okay? So hang with me. I have a little recipe that I want to read to you. Um, The recipe states this, in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped or babto into boiling water and then baptized or baptizo in the vinegar solution. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution, but the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetable produces a permanent change. N.T. Wright says this, If Luke had it his way, we'd all be Pentecostal in some form or another. Daryl Bach wishes that Luke 3.16 was just as well known as John 3.16. In Luke 3.16, Jesus is the Spirit-anointed and Spirit-dispensing Messiah who comes to drench his people in the Holy Spirit, to plunge them into the fiery and holy breath of God, bestowing God's kingly power and kingdom presence upon them. Prophets like Ezekiel and Joel looked forward to the day when Yahweh would pour out his spirit in a new and unexpected way. And Peter's Pentecost sermon announces that that day has come at last. This Pentecost moment was a baptism in the spirit. They were and are overwhelmed by the solution that they were in. This is baptizo, fully immersed, pickled in the spirit. This is a permanent change, going in a cucumber and coming out a pickle. Suddenly, they change into men and women of extraordinary courage. Just follow the life of Peter through the Gospels and into the book of Acts for a case study on what the Holy Spirit's work is in our lives. This is what the Spirit did and what the Spirit continues to do in our lives. Baptism is immersion complete and total surrender, and then transformation. I went in one thing, but I came out something completely different. John Tyson and Susie Silk say this, the Christian life is not meant to be lived dryly or wearily, but to be a life overflowing with water and rushing wind, filled with the presence of God. Holy Spirit comes to baptize to be fully immersed and then changed. Is this your experience in your life with Jesus? Have you been baptized in the spirit, immersed in such a way time and time again that it has changed who you are? Holy Spirit comes to baptize. And number two, to empower Jesus says when he was talking to his disciples before he goes, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be baptized. You will be fully immersed and totally transformed. And in that process, you receive power. The invitation of the Holy Spirit is to enter into the life of Christ to experience the life of Christ, to embody the kind of strength and power that Jesus lived his life with. And what kind of power are we talking about here? 
we're talking about resurrection power. To be baptized in the spirit means other things, but it certainly means this. It means that resurrection is the new way that we see and understand this world and our lives in it. Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and in me. I feel like that that line is said so many times that it ironically loses its power. So let that sink in a little bit this morning. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and lives in me. Resurrection changes everything. So take the events of your life. Take your routines and your plans, your experiences, your jobs, and your families, and then expect that resurrection is the theme running underneath all of it. Expect that God takes the darkest moments of your story and then turns them into the ones that are the most powerful, the ones where his kingdom is shining unhindered. Eugene Peterson says, God's spirit continues to hover over the chaos of the world's evil and our sin and shapes a new creation and new creatures. Pentecost means that God is not a spectator, in turn amused and alarmed at world history. Rather, he is a participant. Pentecost means that the invisible is more important than the visible. At any single moment and at any single event we choose to examine. Pentecost means that everything, especially everything that looks to us like wreckage, is material God is using to make a praising life. Come on, guys. I know it's raining, but come on. Resurrection is not just a fun story for Easter morning. Easter morning, It is the way that God gets his work done. And that work, that spirit lives in you. He is active and moving and hovering just as we talked about as he was at the beginning over all of the chaos, ready to bring order and beauty out of even the darkest places. Think about what we did this morning and sitting in lament and then think about what Holy Spirit's work is in that. Hovering, moving, ready to bring order into all of the chaos and all of the things that seem so confusing to us, the things that look like wreck. The Holy Spirit is not just the hair standing up on the back of your neck during your favorite New City music song. Holy Spirit is resurrection power tucked inside of real lives. Holy Spirit comes to baptize, to empower, and last, to incarnate. Yes, I'm using that as a verb. And when you do, it means to embody or represent in human form. And it's what God does, first in Jesus and then through the Holy Spirit. Back to our story. There were divided tongues of fire resting on each head. And Luke here is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. And then later, when God's glory came in, a pillar of fire, and it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. But that was just one pillar of fire, not many. So what's happening here is Luke is making an important point. This is God's personal temple presence. God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets and now it has come to take up residence in the new temple, that is, his people. 
They, we have become mobile temples where God now dwells. We carry his image and carry his presence. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. I don't know about you, but the um, your body is a holy temple verse most of the time that I remember it being used and growing up was a, a deterrent for smoking and drinking. Like, don't do that. Don't do any of that. Your body is a temple, which, yes, you should be a good steward of your physical being, but that is not what this verse is talking about. This is the idea of convergent space, the places where heaven and earth collide, these thin spaces like we say here at City all the time. The temple presence was called the Holy of Holies, this place that only certain people had access to. And in the crucifixion of Jesus, the veil was torn from top to bottom. And now we are saying, you are convergent space. We are convergent space. We are mobile temples. We carry the Holy of Holies wherever we stand. We carry his personal temple presence with us. The same spirit that was once contained to the temple now lives in us. You are where heaven meets earth. N.T. Wright, again, can't go wrong, guys. I got one more from Eugene here in just a second, so just, you know. Many Jews longed for a new event in which the divine glory would fill Israel's temple once more. The wind and fire of Pentecost answers to this expectation, indicating that now the temple is a community, not a building. The church, as the spirit-filled temple of God, goes into the world with fresh wind and fire, living out its vocation to be a light to the nations, burning ever more brightly. The outline of the book of Acts is still on the move. His gospel is still spreading to the ends of the earth through the church. Through me and you, walking, operating, living in step with the Spirit, fully immersed, fully changed by the solution that we have been in, baptized in the Spirit, and then we receive the power that only comes from Him, and we take that power because we're mobile and we go out into the world. The Spirit has come to baptize, to empower, and incarnate. And He is still doing this today, right here, right now. This was not and is not a one-time thing. Eugene, Mr. Peterson. If I were to define what for me makes up the core Pentecostal identity, it is the lived conviction that everything Absolutely everything in the scriptures is livable. Not just true, but livable. Not just an idea or a cause, but livable in real life. Everything that is revealed in Jesus and the scriptures, the gospel is there to be lived by ordinary Christians in ordinary times. Would you stand with me this morning?
not just true, but livable. And so that's what we want to do this morning. But before we do, we want to go to the table together. As you prepare your elements. Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed that this is my body broken for you. Let's take just a moment to reflect on what we're doing before we jump in and it's just routine and rhythm. Jesus said this was his body And it was broken for us. It was broken for you and for me to make a way for everything that we've talked about this morning. God, we remember your body that was broken. We sat in awe of what you did and what you accomplished on the cross. We set our gaze on you this morning. We remember. Let's take the bread together. Jesus said, this is the cup, the new covenant of my blood shed, poured out for you. And so we pause and we remember this morning, your blood shed for us, Lord. Your blood that washes, that cleanses, that renews and restores, we remember. Let's take the cup together. as I said at the beginning we want to pray, we want to worship we want to lean into everything that we talked about today and what Holy Spirit comes to do and what that means for me today, this morning, right now not just as a story, not just something that we read, but as Eugene said at the end, this is not just true it's livable for us and so if you would just close your eyes for a moment let's posture our hearts to be surrendered to him. 
no matter what your background may be, whether this is comfortable for you or uncomfortable for you, Lord, my prayer all week has been that we would just lean in this morning and be open to whatever the Spirit wants to do. To save as much time at the end of this service as we possibly could to just surrender it back to him and say, Lord, we submit to whatever it is that you want. I don't wanna try to put parameters around you, to put you in a box that I understand, God. I want to lean in because you are God and I trust you. I trust that you know more than I know. And so my palms are up and I'm surrendered to you. Holy Spirit, come and do everything that you've promised to do and that you're doing right now in our lives, in our world. I want the presence and activity of God very active in my life. And so I surrender to it this morning. As we are about to sing, Spirit, come and fill this place. Let your glory now invade. Spirit, come and fill this place. Let your glory now invade. We surrender to you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship. <laughs> 